You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocals of Cryptopsy. You listen to my podcast, Vox and Hops, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope that you had a great weekend. It has been absolutely beautiful here in Montreal, so I have had a wonderful weekend. We did some gardening outside. It's always fun to get outside and to move. I suggest that you do the same. All month long, I am shining some light on Redefining Darkness Records. In honor of that, you can get 15% off of all vinyls, CDs, and cassettes on the Redefining Darkness Bandcamp page. All you have to do is use the promo code VOXENHOPS when you're checking out, and you will get 15% off. That code is VOXENHOPS. That's a V-O-X ampersand H-O-P-S. You use that, you'll get 15% off of all vinyls, cassettes, and CD purchases on the Redefining Darkness Bandcamp page. I suggest you do it. They got some great bands, some great stuff up there. Support extreme music people. I also want to talk about the For the Nomads silent auction, which I am very honored to be a part of. In case you are not aware of what the For the Nomads charity is, it is an excellent, excellent initiative set up by Frank Finelli, who I recently had on the podcast. He has raised over $40,000 for out-of-work crew members. These are people that are out on the road helping artists put on the shows that we all love and adore so much. I have offered up a vocal guest spot. I will perform vocals on one track. You can go and place your bids now. If you ever imagined having me doing some guest vocals on one of your tracks, now is your chance. You can go do that at forthenomads.org. Check out the silent auction. There's a whole bunch of other crazy cool stuff that have been offered by a bunch of other artists. It's really awesome, and I love to see the scene supporting each other. It is beautiful, and I'm so proud to be a part of this. So go and check that out at forthenomads.org. Place your bets. This runs until June 1st. Don't miss it. It's freaking awesome, and I'm so proud to be a part of this initiative. On today's episode, I'm with Corey Hofing, the drummer of Crimson Shadows, and Johnny No Cash and the Celtic Outlaws. Here it is, Vox and Hops, episode number 147. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today I'm with Corey Hoffing from Crimson Shadows and Johnny No Cash and the Celtic Outlaws. How are you? Uh, you, I have known you for a very, very long time. I want to say that you're the person. I could be wrong here as I look back at my, at this point, 150 guests. You're the person that I've known the longest that I've interviewed. Well, I, that may be true. Uh, we have known each other a long time. Um, I know we did some shows uh, with Crimson Shadows, but I, we did originally meet while you are in Three Mile Scream, uh, and I played for a hardcore band called Hello Beautiful. Yes. So it, that, that's going back a long time. That's the same night that I met Martin Cleel. The sound man who's gone on to do sound for Black Dahlia in Europe and Beneath the Massacre, because Martin Cleal was working with Fuck the Facts. Do I have the right show? Yep, that is exactly the right show. Yep, hundred percent. I don't. I can't remember the bar. I think it was the only show we ever played at that bar. Then it probably closed down, like every other Toronto bar. But yep, 
Yeah, that's exactly it. And uh, yeah, it was a pleasure meeting all you guys that night. Everyone from Three Mile Scream and then went on to do some shows uh, together with Crimson Shadows. And that was that was a f- really fun time. You guys were always pro. I remember that. We played this one show together in Toronto. And Three Mile had been doing a little string of shows, I remember. And it was a Sunday night, I think, in Toronto. And I think that the only people that were there were you and I. Like <laughs> Three Mile and Crimson, and there was no crowd. Yeah. And you guys being troopers, you guys went up there and performed the show. Three Mile Scream, on the other hand, did not play that night. And I, honest, I honestly regret that choice to this day that, that we chose to just just pack it in and watch you guys play. It, it's, it's difficult to like load in and do all that work and then to play to literally nobody. The bar staff, who they're not buying merch. You know, like you're probably not getting paid that night either. Uh, so, you know, it's just like a on stage rehearsal at that point. But yeah, we always we always tried to do that. I think there's only been one show that we've canceled uh, in the 14 years we've been a band. And that was just due to safety precautions, I guess, while we were on the road. Uh, it just yeah, it just didn't seem like a safe place to play so uh we'll get into it but yeah that's the only time we've ever uh ever canceled a show or not played i guess my listeners want to know i thought you were going to say there was a long drive it was dangerous bad weather what what about this place was so dangerous that you can't perform oh no we went there um and uh we had heard some stuff from uh unleash the archers and, and west of hell while we were on tour about this this place uh, it was on a native reserve, and uh, they said if you're playing in the tent, you're safe because your van is inside. But both bands had horror stories of people trying to break into their van if they played at the bar, which is just in the middle of the reserve in town. And so we got there, and we were standing around. We were a couple hours early for load-in, and then this truck just kept circling around and every time it had more and more people okay (laughs) and i was down to play the show i was totally down to do it and like i don't care about anything like they at the end of the day hopefully nobody gets hurt and we we can make a story out of it but um yeah the rest of the guys uh because crimson was touring with vesperia at that time so there's seven of us i was playing drums for vesperia as well as well as our bass player morgan and uh yeah, so the guys just decided like, no, we're we're not gonna do it. Um, we could use the money right now, but we'll just we'll carry on to the next show because this doesn't. It just didn't feel safe. They talked to some locals, and it was it, not not a not a fun time around there. So, yeah, the promoter is very disappointed. But uh, yes, it's always important to trust your gut when you're out there on the road. Everyone, if something feels wrong, it's important to to trust your gut and to follow your gut. Because uh, there's a reason why we have that sensation, and uh, it's important to, to listen to it. Yeah, especially as an independent band touring, like uh, you're playing some sketchy bars, and you know you always gotta kind of feel it out to a degree. Uh, once you get onto the the bigger level of touring, most of the, most venues and places you play are pretty all right. You always gotta be careful in Montreal, Chicago, you know, places like that. Make sure you're you lock your van and all that, but uh, yeah, sleep in your van. 
Yes, always. I prefer sleeping in the van anyways. I think I've only slept in a hotel once when we were given the opportunity and some other guy slept in the van, but I'm I'm a van sleeper for sure. It's always important to have that guard. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with your metal friends, talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. Uh, what beer do you have on your side? Tell me about it. Crack it open. Let's see what's going on. I, I've, I've already poured mine, I, uh, but uh, I have another one waiting here. <laughs> yeah, crack yours <laughs> open. I, uh, I got a delivery uh, late last week from Collective Arts, which is fantastic. They deliver it my way. They are out of Burlington. Uh, they have some delicious beverages, which I've consumed most of them over the last four days. Uh, but this is Saint of Circumstance. It is a uh, blonde ale, uh, a citrus blonde ale. Uh, comes in at uh, four point seven percent, and it is uh, it's quite delicious. Uh, has a nice uh, citrusy uh, notes to it, and uh, not overly hoppy or anything like that. Uh, being an ale, so it's uh, yeah, it's a nice, uh, easy going, uh, easy drinkability. To it, it's uh, it's absolutely delicious. What do you got over there? That sounds amazing. I also got a delivery a few days ago, but sadly, here in Quebec, uh, the province of Quebec, they do not allow breweries to ship to residents as of yet. I'm hoping that they change that, but the liquor laws are so strict here. So I got a delivery from a local craft beer store, which is like a loop around, and then they deliver the brew. So I'm drinking Sir John Brewing Company's double. Le Emotive Mosaic. So it's 100% mosaic hops. This is a double dry hopped, double India Pale Ale. Clocks in at a nice 8.2% ABV. Super cool can art always on uh, Sir John Brewing Company. Just like Collective Arts, before we started recording this, you showed me the can and I knew right away. They have like a sort of aesthetic branding to them, which is very important. Pours out nice and hazy. It smells as I cracked it. I was like, oh yeah. It's that, that mosaic hop. A lot of people probably don't know this, but the... When I designed the Vox and Hops logo, the little hops skull head is actually based upon a mosaic hops because that was my favorite hops back when I started Vox and Hops. Cheers. Mm, delicious. A nice little hop bite. Slight hop burn. Super pineapple peach. Uh, absolutely delicious. I love Sir John Brewing Company. They're doing amazing things up here in, in Quebec. They're from uh, La Chute, which is just a little bit north of Quebec. Love it. Uh, take me back to your youth. Uh, what music was playing in your house when you were growing up? What is the soundtrack of your youth? Uh, well, growing up um, in the house, uh, my, my parents weren't overly musical people. Uh, so it was just like uh, any kind of like rock radio or anything like that. Um, the big thing is uh, just down the street, my parents' best friends had a uh, sugar shack who used to throw parties. And so they'd bring all of us kids over and it's five minutes down the road, but they used to do big karaoke parties. And the main thing they'd listen to was country music. Uh, so like eighties, nineties, like country and pop country and all that type of stuff, uh, was, was very much. So the, the biggest thing from my younger years that I remember musically, um, like I was always kind of into music, but uh, the crowd that I hung out with uh, during elementary school and stuff like that 
would hop from one genre to the next and you had to be on top of it. You know, everything from from Nirvana, then like P. Diddy and the family the next week and like Boys to Men, like I still have all those <laughs> all those records. It's not that I I necessarily liked it. It was just like, you know, we had we all kind of went with the same trends. Um until I was probably about like eleven or twelve, I started getting into uh like Blink one eighty two and some forty one. Um, this whole time though, my, my older brother, who is a guitar player for Crimson Shadows, uh, he's five years older than me. And so we would play, uh, mini sticks and stuff in the basement, uh, which for those of you who aren't Canadian, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, get mini hockey sticks and, uh, we just like play on our hands and knees, uh, with a tennis ball. That's how you make, that's how you, that's how you break everything and make the holes in the walls. Oh yeah. Oh, we had to fix, uh many holes in the drywall for sure <laughs> um but uh he he always had like metallica playing um and he, even in my younger years i got made fun of by my other friends who are into like hip-hop or pop or whatever it'd be like hey you listen to metallica like you skid and i'll be like no i don't i just swear i don't but meanwhile like i i loved it <laughs> you know like um even when like uh load and reload came out like that was i was i was probably still like eight or nine so yeah that was that was a big part of my youth as well and uh, my brother was a huge influence on me getting into metal i got into the punk scene once i hit high school like hard like leftover crack and choking victim and and uh like we had a pretty solid crew um and even though I, I kind of live in the middle of nowhere, but we had a really, really great punk scene, punk and ska. There was like three high schools that would all kind of come together. Um, and, and we had some killer shows. Uh, that's like where like the Flatliners uh, got really big as well um, before they like really took off. But uh, yeah, like we, we had like, we were part of like the touring circuit for punk and ska bands. Like it was, we had some, some big names coming through our tiny little town, which doesn't really exist anymore. <laughs> Sadly enough, like uh, I thought it was because I was I was getting too old, but like it doesn't seem like uh, there's like lo- like small local scenes in the small towns anymore, like there once uh, once was, which really sucks because those those were some of the funnest shows I ever played. Um, Same. in my later teens. Same. But, Woodst- uh, yeah. Woodstock, Ontario, was a fun place to play back in the day. <laughs> Woodstock. I remember playing a show in, uh, I think it was Mount Albert, Ontario, in a, uh, I think it was like a, a trailer. And it was the hottest thing ever that as soon as the band ended, everybody would leave. So then you go in and set up, and then they would show up once you started playing because it was so hot. And it's like, it was like a portable that we played in. <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone just goes out and hangs out in the parking lot and then comes back in. And you're so sweaty. It's like one of the hottest shows I ever played. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of miss those days of those like tiny local shows. And and I was I was recently booking a smaller tour for Johnny No Cash and the Celtic Outlaws. And these small towns, um, like just they don't have a scene. And like I feel like that's where we would strive um, is is in the smaller towns. Like it's worked around here, but it just doesn't exist anymore. It's really sad to see like the youth uh, growing up doesn't, doesn't have the same unity uh, within their, their music scene. Like uh, the rest of us did growing up. 
Mm, I think that a lot of it ties to, as you mentioned before, I wanted to say that I'm hoping now with the internet, you, you had to hide your love, your passion of metal, of Metallica, because it wouldn't fit in with your, your high school friends group. Whereas nowadays, people don't necessarily have to fit in with their high school kids because they can, they can connect and find communities on the internet that do share those same interests, which might actually become a detriment to the scene because you might be super into extreme metal with like 4,000 other people on the internet, but you're the only guy in that scene, the only guy in that small town that actually likes it. So no death metal band can come there. It's not feasible. Whereas back in the day, if one kid was into it, he got his friend into it, another person got into it, and it grew the scene, and there was bands that were formed, and then bands would come on tour, and uh, they, you know, trading shows. It's definitely not happening as it used to, especially maybe I'm just too old, and I don't know about it. Yeah, it could be we're just too old now. Uh, but like, it, it was really in elementary school that like I hit it. As soon as I get into high school, like I kind of I stay in contact with those friends, but I kind of it opened me up because there was like multiple schools coming together. Like growing up, I was with the same group of people from like kindergarten all the way through grade eight. I didn't have middle school, nothing. We were all there, so. Uh, I kind of stuck with the same group of people rather than high school. I was like, no, I'm growing my hair out. Um, or I shaved a mohawk and I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm into punk rock now. That's all I listen to, you know, no effects. Uh, Pennywise was my first like club show that I ever went to. And that was a wake up call. Like we were, we were probably about like 20 feet from the stage at the cool house, which I think that's, that's a little over 2000 people can fit in there. I think if I'm correct. Uh, and, uh, it was packed. And as soon as the first band started playing, we're like, Oh no, we'll be, we'll be fine. We're not in the mosh pit. We were like dead center of the mosh pit. And like, <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was like the start of my, my pit days, which are now sadly kind of over. Can't injure myself. It hurts too much these days, man. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> I like standing on stage and watching a pit. Uh, oh, I like it. opening up a pit and making people start a pit, but my mom, my pit days are behind me as well. <laughs> yeah. I like being on like, if there's an upper level that I can see the stage really well, that's, that's, that's where it's at. Or I go for the best sound quality about 10 feet in front of the board. That's where I find it's the, it sounds the best. And I just want to enjoy watching a band live and hearing it and feeling it. I don't need to feel the pain of it anymore. <laughs> uh, what about starting drumming? Uh, your brother was an influence on the metal. Was he an influence on that as well? To a degree, yeah. Um, well, he technically bought me my first drum kit. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, we we played in a band. He, he wanted a partner. He wanted a partner. He was like, I need a drummer. Yeah, well, I, I kind of followed in his footsteps um a couple years after he started playing guitar um i started playing guitar as well uh and then we weren't really like that that close at that time um but then it came his his band swords of scorn uh recorded an album with glenn drover who later uh went to play in megadeth um so it was just him and the drummer like and the drummer played keyboards and everything and they had some vocalists that kind of left after all that but uh he they wanted to start playing live 
uh, to support the the record and everything like that. And uh, he looked at me. He's like, "Well, you've learned most of the songs on guitar. Do you think you can play it on bass? Like, there's a bass in the basement. Just pick it up. Start, you know, relearning the songs on bass, which was pretty simple. Uh, so I started playing bass for them, and then uh, fast forward about two years later, uh, and that band kind of didn't work out. We were in the middle of recording the second record and our, our drummer just decided I'm going to get married. I'm pretty much just like putting this project on hold and me and my brother were like so into it and he was writing all this crazy stuff that was beyond what that band um, wanted to do. Uh, and we were just like so into it. We're like, okay, we're going to start, start up Crimson Shadows now. Like, uh, that's, that's kind of how it started. Um, we had gotten, uh, Jimmy, our vocalist to do guest vocals for the previous band, Swords of Scorn. And we are like, dude, do you want to join our new project? Uh, Greg, Crimson Shadows guitar player was playing in Swords of Scorn at the time as well. So we were like, all right. Uh, we actually did audition three drummers before I decided like, I'm just, I'm just going to play drums. Like I, like when we met, um, I was playing for a hardcore band called Hello Beautiful. And, uh, that was just kind of fun, um, fun guys that I, I played with. I knew from the punk scene and stuff. Uh, but then once Crimson Shadows started, I was like, I gotta get really good, really fast here. <laughs> like I'd only been playing for about a year. Um, and then like, but nobody could play, keep up the tempos or play what we, we needed. Right. And I knew exactly what we needed. I just needed to get better. So that's kind of how I fell into drumming uh, on a like extreme metal type of way. Uh, I was always drawn to the instrument, uh, but my parents never wanted it in the house because uh, it's so loud. So with a guitar, like you can plug in headphones to the amp and like just jam along. But uh, with drums, like you need to you need to be loud, especially back then, like they didn't have uh, digital kits and stuff the way they do now right so no and it's a good thing it's a good thing to be loud because you gotta hit hard yeah oh absolutely like i've i've probably i probably have tendonitis in my wrist because i i hit so hard but oh well no 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 you know a lot of these modern drummers that are absolutely incredible they don't hit hard enough and i'm wondering if it's because they grew up on these e-kits uh being afraid you know not having to hit as hard because they hear it the same volume. I don't know if e kits have evolved to the point where there is a different velocity on how hard you're hitting it nowadays, but I, there's definitely settings that you can you can do for that. But anyone playing like death metal and stuff, you set the velocity maxed out. Like you you always want those hits to come in as solid as possible. But e- even now, because I wear in ears uh, and I only put my triggers through my ears, the rest of my kit's muffled. So I am hitting that snare as hard as possible just so I can hear it through my in-ears, uh, like when I'm when rehearsing and stuff. So uh, probably did more damage to uh, <laughs> to my body, but, you know, it gets out uh, some of the aggression, and uh, I, I think it overall just sounds better. So, you know, the more energy that you're putting into your drum, the more you're going to get out of it is how I kind of look at it. And it's the same with on stage. The more energy you're putting out to the audience, they're hopefully going to throw it right back at you. Right? That's, that's so. why we do it. That's the exact reason why we do it. 
Take take me to uh, how you worked through your drumming to get up to the standards that you had to be at. Um, a lot of it was just uh, persistence. Uh, I've always made sure that I had a spot that I could play drums. Uh, there was only about a year that um, I didn't have a proper rehearsal space, or at least like I always have um, up where I'm at now. Um, but uh, every house I lived in, I had to make sure that I could have my drums there. I needed to make sure I was on the kit a certain amount every week, um, if not every day. I kind of made up uh, my own routines to go through. Uh, I took notes from uh, drummers here and there and then came up with my own routine that worked best for me. I think if you just follow like one regiment, like this guy says it's the best, like everybody's different. Everybody's muscles respond differently. And uh, one thing could work for somebody, but it not work for the next guy. Right. So I kind of came up with my own routine on what, where I would get to where I want to be. And for the most part, like I was just working on speed and consistency and, uh, yeah, and just uh, going through my routines every day and, and, and just getting up to that level. I've kind of slipped in my uh, older age and just like, oh, we have a show in two months. Like, ah, I'll wait till two weeks before to, <laughs> <laughs> to rehearse. It'll be fine, though. You know, and then I regret it. It's like the day before the show. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not ready. Like, let's see how this goes. <laughs> what What is that thing that you struggle with still to this day? Um my left hand uh like those traditional blasts uh with my left hand i've been working on it really hard recently um but like that's that's the biggest thing um and doubles doubles are are, have always been um, a pain in the ass for me but uh again like with this time off i've been trying to take it and and really uh really improve on my weaknesses uh, and I know that my strengths will kind of follow suit with it. Like when you're practicing your weaknesses, it also will strengthen your strengths that much more. So that's like the, the biggest thing I've been trying to work on. And, but yeah, my, my left hand's just been always been a pain in the ass and never does what I want it to do. It doesn't function properly. And I think a lot of people, their weaker hand, that's always the way it is. Uh, until they actually sit down and, and, and take the, put the work in for it. Uh, and then once you start noticing results, you're like, Oh, this is actually achievable. Okay. Cause at first you're like, no, this thing doesn't, it's not going to do what I want. It's never going to do what I want. You get discouraged. But, uh, once you actually start putting the work into it, it's like, okay, uh, if I keep doing this every day or whatever, uh, then, you know, maybe I will actually get to the point where I'm happy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if we get happy and we're we're satisfied with where we're at that's when we stop oh yeah all right i'm never i will never be happy i (laughs) i know that for a fact (laughs) happiness is not something that i i will ever achieve it's just slight satisfactions here and there you know <laughs> take, take me to uh, social isolation uh before we started recording this you mentioned that uh your job very quickly just shut everything down so you're at home uh you're practicing how else are you using your time i'm um 
Drinking many delicious craft beers. Supporting the local craft beer industry, yes. I am, I'm doing I'm doing my best. Only um, a certain amount of craft breweries deliver up where I am. I'm about 45 to 50 minutes outside of Toronto. And uh, a lot of like uh, Great Lakes Brewery, which has some amazing, delicious beers. Um, they only deliver, they're like 20 minutes south of where I am. So I'm, I'm itching to get some, but uh, yeah, I kind of, I've, every week I kind of scour and I spend about an hour like seeing, okay, which craft beer will deliver here and which one has the best prices and which one has the best selection. Um, Cause like for the most part, I, I usually drink cheap, shitty beer. Um, I, I'm really more of a bang for your buck type of guy. Uh, but I, when I go out to bars and stuff, I'm always interested in trying, um, different IPAs or, or stouts or, uh, and I've always, always wanted to do that, uh, but never at home, uh, because I just, I just get old mill ice and I'm all set. Yeah, I love it. It's 5.5. It's delicious. Uh, you know, it quenches my thirst. But uh, it's been really neat um, drinking different beverages every night. Uh, but other than that, like, yeah, I'm playing drums. I um, Crimson Shadows is gearing up to record a new record, which we did just release an EP uh, called The Resurrection out on Napalm Records now. Check it out. Um but there's nothing new on there. Uh, there's two covers and a very old song we re-recorded. So we have nine tracks ready to go. Uh, I'm just finishing up pre-production. It's taking up most of my time. I'm really taking my time with this because um, I have it. Uh, I have a, a small studio here and, and my kit set up. You can't see it, but it's just over there. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been great to sit down and like not have that pressure of the studio uh on you but been be able to go over the songs and then listen back to them and be like okay i don't like this i really like this part uh and then to play through them again and uh, i've been meaning to do it for a long time but just never had the time like i i was working like 60 70 hours a week and it was uh it was tough so uh that's that's the majority of my time is either um I'm playing drums, uh, and like I actually have I have workout routines I've set up in in Cubase that I so I just come down, I uh, I load it up uh, and I have it on repeat, and I go through that until I'm nice and good. Then I'm like, okay, what song am I working on today? And then load that up, hit record, and put that on a loop, and I'll do like three or four passes, and and then sit down and and see what I like. So yeah, that's. Yeah, that's it's pretty much most. <laughs> I wish I had that freedom to to be so creative, musically in my own house. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, like my my girlfriend as well is a, is a musician, so we're planning on the coming weeks to uh, to get some of her material down. I uh, I've also played drums for her in the past, and so she has a lot of music that she wants to get down. So I'll be engineering and playing drums on that and. Uh, yeah, just trying to be creative, uh, as much as possible. Anyways, my laziness gets the best of me sometimes, you know, have a one night of a little too many beards and, uh, next day you're kind of like, eh, 
you know, I'll just phone this one in and watch <laughs> some movies and catch up on some TV shows, you know, but then the next day you gotta, you gotta get back into it. That's important. It's important to, to know your body and to listen to your body. Very important. Um, let's touch on the, um, the fact that Jimmy is back. I loved, I love Jimmy's vocals. I always have. Um, he left the band for a bit. And then you had Paul Zanay, the Vox and Hops alumni of ages, of Blackguard, that came in for a little bit. And I was like, yes, perfect fit. And then a whole bunch of circumstances happened where it didn't pan out. And I believe Paul touched on that on the episode that I had with him. So if anyone wants to go into that, go back and listen to that episode. But then Jimmy came back. How did you get Jimmy to come back? Um, well, he originally left because uh, the touring was getting to be a little much financially for him, uh, essentially. Like, it had nothing to do with us as people or, like, there was no fights or anything like that. We we took on a last-minute tour uh, with our friends in, on Lisey Archers, uh, and he pretty much, like, we all kind of agreed on it. Uh, and then when we, right after we announced it, he was like, listen, guys, I can't do this. Um, like I financially, I can't take the time off. I, I'm going to lose my apartment that he has with his girlfriend. He's like, you know, like, he's like, I, I, I can't do this right now. Um, so we found a vocalist in five days. <laughs> we had five days before the first show to find a vocalist. And, uh, we did. He did the tour. It went great. It was awesome. And then when we got home, Jimmy was like, all right, guys, like, I'm I'm going to have to step down because this is getting to be too much and I don't want to um, take away from what you guys want to do. Now, at that time, our tour cycle for uh, Kings Among Men was kind of coming to a close. Uh, it was uh, October, so we weren't going to tour through the winter. We didn't have, have anything on the table. So we went into the studio. Um, and then that's when I contacted Paul. Um, we worked together for about a year on the new record and a lot of what Paul did on the new record will be, be there. So like he, he was a big part of this, this new album that we're gearing up to record. Uh, and it, it, Paul's me and Paul have been really good friends for years. Um, but, uh, yeah, just him being in Montreal and us doing one-off shows and stuff like it just, it didn't work for his schedule. He was in a different place as well. Um, not not really wanting to do a being a touring band at that moment either. So it was unfortunate. Um, but uh, in the end, like uh, Jimmy came back and he's he got married in that time too. Uh, so there was just a lot of stuff in his life that he wanted to accomplish. Uh, after he hit 30 and then the band like started touring, he's like, oh shit, like, you know, like I'm 30 now, there's stuff I wanted to achieve. And if the band keeps going like this, like I'm not going to get to do any of that stuff. So, um, but yeah, he, uh, he's back. We're working hard on the new record. Um, we, I, I don't know how much touring we're going to be doing. Uh, I don't, I don't know like what the future holds in, in that aspect of things. Cause, um, everyone's kind of set in to the home life and has their jobs and, and myself, I have a mortgage and everything like that. So it's, uh, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen there. Um, 
do we'll do as many festivals and stuff like that as we can. Uh, but I think that was, that was the biggest issue with Jimmy and him coming back. He's like, okay, we're not going to be on tour eight months of the year, right? And I'm like, no, okay. We can all agree that we're not going to be touring endlessly as that band anymore unless it's financially beneficial, which uh, doesn't seem like it will be right now at least. So, No, no it's very complicated right now. Uh, the the future of touring acts with COVID nineteen is is going to be on hold for quite a bit. Uh, it's not it's not it's, it's not about the amount of tours you do or the the. I've been saying this a lot on the podcast recently. It's it's choosing the right tours. Yeah, and like the our our biggest downfall was that um, we were in talks with many many booking agents, but no one really wanted to take us on because our style is really ranges in between. Like you put us on with death metal bands, I don't know if it's gonna work. You know, like I don't know if Crimson Shadows and Cryptopsy can tour together. I don't know if a booking agent's gonna want to put us on there. Uh, and power metal bands. Um, we're just way too aggressive. So it's, it, we're kind of in that shitty vague like area that we're like too heavy for power metal, but we're not heavy enough for death metal. So like, I don't know, like put us on tour with arch enemy or something, maybe, <laughs> you know, like heavily melodic, you know, there's, that'd be cool, but it yeah. just, it, it, in that time, dragon for dragon force, dragon and- force would be great. We've gotten to play with them before and that was absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, that would be just, that's the hard part is like at that point in our career, we had management, we had a label, we had the drive to do everything. Uh, but no booking agent was, uh, willing to pick us up. Um, except for one, one that we, very quickly declined um and you know exactly who i'm talking about um, his name rhymes with jimberg yes exactly um uh, we wanted nothing to do with that so um and hey maybe we should have but you know at the same time i think i think we're we're better off at this point uh so yeah that that was like the biggest thing for us like we just didn't uh we didn't. We were booking our own tours, essentially. We had our, our manager submitting us. Uh, she was a huge influence on that. But like the only reason we got uh, the tour in the states really is because of the work we put in uh, previous to even getting signed. Uh, like Necrogoblicon remembered us because we opened up for them in Toronto, and they saw that we we uh applied or submitted for the tour and they're like hey remember these guys they were rad like yeah uh, we partied together and stuff like cool uh so they put us on to support them and then unleash the archers just uh luckily they um luckily for us not for uh hebria because hebria didn't get their visas in time so we had about a week and a half to prepare for that tour uh because our visas were still good and they were we had a pool party at my place and uh they're like, yeah, Hebrew is not doing the tour. So I was like, dude, we'll do it 100%. We just got off the road um, and we're f- full bore. Like, let's do this. Like, why not? We haven't really played the East Coast of the States. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we haven't really had um, any booking agents. Uh, so it's been very difficult for, for touring for us. We do everything ourselves and it's uh, 
it it put definitely a huge strain on uh, on the band overall. It's it's a lot of work organizing a tour. It's a lot of work. I don't know if anyone out there listening to this actually knows what goes into booking a tour independently. It's 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 countless emails, scouring for contacts, putting out calls on the internet, trying to get anything in any city. So so huge props to you guys for doing it all those years. Yeah, I well, I booked three of our cross Canada tours myself, uh, headlining, which was very difficult. Um, the first stab I've I've had at doing booking a full tour was with Johnny No Cash. We were heading out east. Uh, actually, we we're we we're supposed to start on April nineteenth, so uh, this past Saturday, um, uh, and uh, I had like. 10 dates i think uh going out to newfoundland and back and dude i i'm i'm going gray just because of that process of trying to book that because like i i i was proficient at it when i had all the contacts lined up and we were doing it year after year and it's fine but then stepping out of the game first as long as i did and booking a completely different genre altogether like oh my god it was uh it was a huge headache and i just I want, I just want to get a booking agent that can handle that. I, you know, I'll be so, so grateful. Well, if anybody's listening out there that wants to book Crimson Shadows or Johnny No Cash, uh, hit me up and I'll or hit up Corey and I'll help this guy out. Yeah, please, man. Or even if you just want to book us like <laughs> uh, in your small little towns, like that's fine. He wants to go back to that hot trailer. I do. Oh man, <laughs> sweaty bars. Oh, I love it. That's what I'm actually hoping. Like, because uh, I know like touring, full touring acts won't uh, won't be able to start up for a while. Like big big concerts. But uh, with Johnny Nocash, Celtic Outlaws, we play a lot of small bars. Like to like twenty thirty people here and there. Like that's that's what we love. That intimate interaction. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to get back out there and playing sooner than uh than all the big touring bands um but right now we're we're all at a standstill so i like the vibe of johnny no cash it's absolutely not metal but it's got some it's got some uh some attitude to it that i appreciate yeah well we're just essentially it is four metalheads trying to write country and it's not country and it's not metal does it go back to that sugar shack the karaoke sugar shack five minutes up the street is a bit <laughs> <laughs> listen the care the 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 countryside of things definitely doesn't come from me <laughs> all right <laughs> that's all johnny uh and we just kind of uh write to each other's strengths um i you know it it's been it's been a ride it started out a lot more punk rock and now it's gotten a lot more progressive and um heavily emotionally based um our last ep to the gallows was like really like it, it, it it's a heavy album to to listen to um and it has a lot of dynamics and and everything with it um but like moving forward i don't know uh we're, we're continuing to write we are actually in the studio in um in michigan where we recorded to the gallows, we recorded two singles. We're trying to, um, we were planning on doing two videos for them, 
but uh, we need extras and all that type of stuff and film crew and we can't really do that right now. So we might do something uh, once we get the mixes back, but um, yeah, it's, it's definitely like, a, it's different cause it's not, there's no standard form of writing. Like with Crimson Shadows, like if Ryan plays a riff, I'm like, uh, can you just make it more Crimson please? And then he'll know exactly what I'm saying. Cause there has, there's a certain formula that goes into it and there's a certain sound and certain melodies that, that, that we have that is our sound, or at least I feel that is our sound. Uh, but with no cash, it's like, like any, anything can come up. We we can just put Johnny's voice on there and boom, it's, it's a Johnny no cash song. So it's, uh, it, it's a lot different for me, uh, writing wise. There's a lot more highs and a lot more lows. Uh, cause I never know. Sometimes I leave a uh, rehearsal and I'm like, I don't know about this project. Um, and then other times I'm like, like I am fucking so stoked about it that I can't, I can't believe it. I can't even think of it doing anything else. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's been a ride for sure. Uh, being with them. And I talked to Johnny the other day and we're, we're trying to get things going while we're in, uh, with social isolation here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, man, if, uh, any, like we have a huge, um, metalhead fan base. Uh, I don't know where it came from or, or what's going on there. Cause we're not metal, but, uh, metalheads seem to love us. So if you're into it, then check it out. It's, it's something different. Uh, it's, and it's, it's not metal. It's not death metal. It's, it's, Celtic death country. So it's all about the attitude though. That's what I like about it. That's it, man. And like, um, we, we played a show actually, uh, we were like smack dab. I think we we're, we were second out of five, uh, opening for beyond creation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Like I'm not, and we got the offer and we are like, absolutely. <laughs> and it's all, uh, I think, imminent existence played and like it was all tech death bands and we're just like second out of five so you just got like screaming death metal for 30 minutes and then we hop on and we're doing sound check and then as soon as he started playing that acoustic guitar i saw everybody's head in that venue turn like what the fuck is going on uh and then we started playing and it dude it was crazy seeing all these metal heads wearing black death metal shirts, long hair, usually arms crossed, you know, or moshing and like everything. But everybody was like dancing, smiling, like just having a great time during our set. Cause like we have a great time. We don't care. We don't care who's in the audience. We're up there to have some beers and play some good tunes and just have fun. And like, there were tons of mistakes happening that night and we just, we rolled with it. Like it was, it was great. And like our merch sales were through the roof that night and we were second out of five. Like that might be your secret spot. Maybe, maybe, maybe like I went and saw Intronaut on tour with Emma Ruth Rundle and Cult of Luna, you know, these eclectic mixed packages. Maybe you like, you see like behemoth out with, I hope I'm saying this name right. Merker, the, the, She's from Finland or from Sweden. She's like a folk singer. Finnish, I think. 
I could be. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, people. And she's not black metal whatsoever. She her earlier stuff was, but now it's like pure folk music, and she's still going to tour with metal bands. And people like that breathing room during during a a death metal show or a metal show. So that might be your secret your secret thing to get out on big tours. Be Johnny No Cash on on extreme metal packages. Well, I hope so, man. I hope so. And like, and shortly before that, we played played with. Uh, a band from I believe the West Coast called Days and Days, which are like an all acoustic, like folk punk band, and that that show was incredible as well. And then we played with uh, the Lazies, which are like a hard rock band, and killed it there too. Uh, and I, I don't say kill it like oh we destroyed them, but like our merch sales were better than we've seen in the past. So, you know, we must be doing something right. Those the merch sales don't lie. No, they don't. That's how that's that's the the stamp of approval of a crowd. Corey, thank you so much for joining me with a craft beer, having a chat, hanging out. I can't wait to hang out with you again. It's always fun to be with you. Thank you so much for coming and be on Vox and Hops. Cheers, brother. Cheers, man. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Such a great chat with Corey. I love him to death. I've known him for a very long time as we spoke about, and I've been seeing a lot of him because he is a regular at the Vox and Hops Thirsty Thursday Virtual Hangs. I love these things. I have put the link for this coming Thursday's hang in the description of this podcast. It is a reoccurring meeting, so you can just keep that link and join us every Thursday. It is always a blast. Grab some craft beers. Come and chat with us. We talk about life, metal, and of course, craft beer. I hope that you guys have a great rest of the week. I have two more episodes coming at you, one on Wednesday and another on Friday. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hopsets. Hello out there. Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!